Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. I'm Mark Kastner. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast. Joined by my co-hosts, Mickey Turner, Susie Rantz, Tim Foss, Beth Mantle, and Dave Clark. This has been an extremely weird podcast. How are they going to be able to handle that? Just the bottom line is they don't have an answer to that. There was never really a time when I was super concerned. Seattle did fine. There's a reason they got signed to first team contract. Very special guest, Brian Spencer, head coach of the Seattle Sounder. You know who he is. Brian how are you doing? I'd start off, Jeremiah, by saying one thing, and this isn't my quote. I have to attribute this to Tom Dutra. He always says, tough times don't last, tough people do. Hello there. It's Dave Clark. I'm going to be the Sounder at Heart podcast. I didn't do Jeremiah's intro, um, even though I had rehearsed it. Uh, two minutes ago before everyone did it. But this is the Sounder at Heart podcast. I'm Dave Clark. Joining me today is Susie Rance. Thank you. And today we have a special guest. It's G. Willow Wilson, who, if you are on Twitter, you know as an emerging Sounders and soccer fan. And uh, Susie and I uh, reached out to her to talk to her about that path to, to soccer fandom. And then also because we're both... Um, geeks, nerds. We, we embrace both of those terms now. And so we're going to welcome G. Willow Wilson to the Sounder Heart Podcast. How are you this evening? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Um, first off, let's just, uh, for the few, the people who aren't necessarily um, Sounders fans that are too online, like all three of us are very much online frequently. Um, Willow, uh, let's just start with the your path to soccer demo, and then we'll probably talk a little bit about uh, the other stuff that why people might know who you are here in a moment. <laughs> um, you, uh, you and I have chatted about this because we share this in common. Your first soccer game, I believe, was in Egypt, in the Middle East. Uh, in your case, it was a club game. Um, but from there, you kind of didn't really follow soccer for a while. Is that accurate? Yeah, it is. Um, soccer, even when I was living in Egypt, was very much a, a background noise for me. Uh, you know, like Egypt is a huge soccer country like the rest of the world. Um, and uh, a lot of games, especially night games, are played during big festivals. And so Ahli, which was the, the, the club that a lot of my friends and sort of in-laws uh, followed was was a huge a huge deal <laughs> and uh and part of part of the texture of of uh of, of daily life but my husband and I were sort of united in being the two non-soccer people in the family which was considered weird um so yeah we were sort of the big nerds <laughs> who did not follow sports uh and and yeah I I didn't uh I didn't really follow any sports really of any kind uh, for, for many years. And then over a decade or so, maybe a few more than that, I don't want to get into the specific number of years uh, <laughs> between you wrote a personal memoir that the Seattle times highly recommended that was given an, an award. Um, and then you also dabbled in comics and, and fiction writing um, Susie has, uh, knows you very well from, uh, she worked at Geek Girl Con for a while and has uh, enjoyed Air. Um, I, I don't have that graphic novel or that series yet, and uh, I, I regret to say that, but I guess I, I probably should pick it up now because I have a feeling it'll touch on some subjects that I'm like sideways to or adjacent to. Um, what are, heck, just earlier today or yesterday, I saw that uh, you have some relation to the Sandman series as well. Uh, yes, what... no, I was I was very lucky to be able to write one of the follow up books to Neil Gaiman's, of course, uh, masterful opus, The Sandman. Uh, recently, in the past five years or so, DC has brought back the world of the dreaming under the Black Label subheading, and um, I was lucky enough to get the call to write one of the books that takes place in the dreaming about an errant uh, nightmare who falls in love with a human being, which causes all sorts of chaos, <laughs> both in our world 
and in the world of the dreaming. So uh, that was that was really fun to write. That book came out kind of in the middle of the pandemic. So uh, it was a tough time to put a book out, but I'm very proud of it. Um, and you can buy it, you know, wherever you buy books. I'm going to I'm going to plug one because I used to work in Tacoma when I was with Defiance and Rain. And I discovered Destiny City Comics down there run by uh, Ethan HD, who is a professional wrestler yes. and now a soccer fan, basically because I, uh, well, I infected him with the spirit of Sounders and, and Defiance Soccer. So he pays attention to what's going on around those sports. And I just have to plug, uh, it, it's my favorite comic book shop because I know him personally. And uh, in a lot of ways, that's how a, we all come to fandoms is, is in most cases, when we know somebody who introduces uh, us to being a fan. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. That's um, I've never been to that store, but I know the owner by, by reputation. Uh, you know, the Pacific Northwest is, is just such a great area for comic book shops. There's a lot of really fabulous ones. So that's really cool. I you feel like the- I was going to say, I feel like we'll probably, this is probably a nice transition to talk about your, your, dabble into soccer fandom during the pandemic but I actually I feel like everyone has like something that got them into comics or something that got them into soccer you're obviously a writer but you probably have a love of comics that goes back very much further when did that and how did that begin for you so for me my first exposure to superhero comics and I've told this story before. So if you're one of my, my comic book people listening to this, you're going to roll your eyes because you, you've heard me say this, um, was this anti-smoking pamphlet that they gave us in like fifth grade or maybe even earlier um, that was all about, you know, like it's bad to smoke. And like there was this, uh, you know, like villain who was, had something to do with smoking. But um, the the characters who sort of swoop in and save the protagonist who's a high school athlete from ruining his lungs by taking up smoking were the X-Men. And like, if you know anything about the X-Men and, and, you know, Wolverine's fondness for, for cigars and stogies, you will realize the irony of this. But um, (laughs) I was fascinated. I was like, Oh my gosh, there are these people whose job it is to swoop in at a dire moment and, and sort of make the world a better place. And they have these great costumes um, and right after that, the iconic or now iconic nineties X-Men cartoon launched with which I was obsessed. And that in turn got me into some of the sort of older Claremont era X-Men books. Death of Superman was around that time. Uh, when I got a little bit older and became sort of like a moody gothy teen, that's when I got into Sandman. So it really became a lifelong, uh, obsession of mine. And, um, I knew from a very young age that if I could, I wanted to be involved somehow in making these magical things. And I just feel very lucky that I've been able to do that. That is you, absolutely you... an incredible start there. <laughs> it's, 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 uh, it's a fun thing. <laughs> it's funny because I think back to the like D.A.R.E. and those similar like anti-drug and anti-smoking campaigns and, and my era did not get the X-Men. Um, oh no. no <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you, you mentioned the one of your projects coming out during the pandemic and, and um, the difficulty of that. And I, my understanding, you, you had, I think, about a 20 post tweet thread about the pandemic. And 20 might be an exaggeration. It was but long. You had, yeah, uh, about like kind of the pandemic and how it interrupted things. And um, it, it did that for so many of us that uh, it, it, it interrupted uh, what had been normal for us. And in your case, uh, you started watching Ted Lasso, I think. <laughs> yeah, I'm one of those people. That, well, it, it, that solve. And like, it, it was kind of this normalcy and, and healing and, and kind of it made you feel better about the world. And yet for you, uh, you kind of got this snapshot of soccer. And that did, is that kind of how like, it yeah no you know it was funny I it was presented to me as a show about soccer and I was like oh you know I'm not really interested in that and you know a friend of mine was like well you know just watch it 
you'll, it'll make you feel better. It's, it's really wholesome. And, you know, it's about people kind of pulling themselves out of spirals of despair, which we were all in at that time. And so I did, and, you know, I thought it, I thought it was all of those things. It was cute. It was charming, but I was shocked that, uh, the thing I was most interested in was the soccer. And there's not a whole lot of that in the show. Um, you know, there, there's some, but somebody said this on online recently, it's, it's less a show about soccer than it is a show about people, characters who are really interesting and funny and happen to work in and around soccer. Um, and I think that's a fair assessment. In fact, I think it was Brent Goldstein, uh, you know, the guy who plays Roy Kent, I think it was him who said that and he would know, um, and so, yeah, the, the thing I was really interested in was like, I cannot believe that people can do this stuff with their feet. That's insane to me. <laughs> um, and from there, I was like, I want to watch more of the actual sport. Uh, and how, how the heck do I do that? I didn't even know. I didn't even know. Uh, and I, I sort of went to Twitter, as I so often do, because it's, it's sort of the, the phone book of all human knowledge. And, um, and I asked, you know, like, if I want to start following the sport, what, what should I do? Where do I, do you follow a particular team, a league, you know, a, uh, do you just pick a channel and whatever's on and like, how do you do it? And somebody, I can't remember who said to me words that were the most, some of the most accidentally ponderous and meaningful words, as it turned out that anyone's ever said to me on Twitter and they were start with your local team, um, you know, and that was the Sounders. And that was sort of, for me, the, be the beginning of the end or the beginning of this. <laughs> so when in that timeline did you start to pay attention to the Sounders? So I'll tell you exactly when it was. Let's see. Um, the game, I want to say it was versus Houston or Houston versus Seattle. I can't remember which, but it was the, the first game in which Kellen Rowe scored a goal after coming to the Sounders. And so there was like this big storyline, which is interesting because we use a lot of the same terms in superhero comics for a lot of this stuff, except when we say set piece, we don't mean like a, a strategy in a certain part of the field to, to do, you know, something tricky in order to get a goal, we mean an elaborate action sequence that occurs usually at the climax of a book. Um, and it was, I don't even really know how to describe it. The thing about superhero comics in particular that makes them very different from any other sort of writing is that you're using one tool and one tool only really to tell a story. And that is moving the human body through space across the page. Uh, you're breaking an action down into still images, counting on the reader's imagination to fill in the rest. And that is basically all you can do. Yes, there's, you know, superpowers and there's costumes and there's things blowing up in the background or what have you. Um, but to tell the story, that's really what you have. You, you have to move a human body across a page. Um, and I don't know why it wasn't more obvious to me before that, that the one of the major ways that you sort of get that in your eyeballs uh, just sort of in day-to-day -day life is through sports. And so sitting here watching this game, I was like, this is incredible. I wanted to like pause every two seconds and be like, okay, this is, this could be a panel on a page. Oh, this is how this works. It was, it was like a, all of a sudden, these these tools that I felt I was losing because I was so underwater because of the pandemic were there again. Everything was vibrant. And I felt like suddenly I could do my job again in a way that I had sort of forgotten how to do because I'd taken a year and a half off to essentially homeschool my kids. Um, you know, I was releasing books into this very destabilized market in which distribution channels were changing people were staying home, shops were closing. And so things I'd waited years to work on, like Sandman, were just sort of fizzling and it was extremely depressing. Um, and then I watched this, you know, that one Sounders game and it was like a rubber band snapped in my head. 
And all of a sudden I was like, oh, I, I remember how to do this job. Um, and it was really, it was phenomenal. You know, I don't want to derail things into one of these like soccer save me stories that we all seem to have. Uh, but it was kind of like that, <laughs> you know, it really was, oh, the metaphor is there. Like the, there, there are still stories to be told. Here they are. You have to just remember to let real life do 80% of the work for you. That's really beautiful. And <laughs> Thanks, I, I love, tried. yeah, yeah. I just think that it's such a good reminder, even for us who have been watching the game for a really long time, like that you can always slow down and appreciate those things. I'm curious. Um, I feel like there are certain players who glide or like feel like they're moving more artistically than others. When I watch a soccer game, are there players that have stood out to you in that way? Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting because I think they, they all do that. It just depends on where you freeze the frame. Um, but I have to say, there is this one photo, and again, I don't know who took it, and I'm going to forget what game it was from, but it was last season, where somebody got this beautiful shot of Raul Ruiz Diaz as he was sort of right about to hit the ball with his foot, and it doesn't look like he's tethered to the ground. It looks like you dropped him out of the sky, and he's landing on the ball. And I look at it two or three times a week because it reminds me that there's still things that art hasn't touched yet where real life exceeds our ability to replicate it in art. Um, and for me, that's really exciting. <laughs> you know, I think when you're a storyteller, especially a visual storyteller, you're always looking for ways to push the horizon back a little bit and say, this is what I'm chasing. This is what still has not been done. And in, yeah, I mean, yeah, in soccer, you get a lot of those moments where like, I had no idea that the human body could do that <laughs> in such a graceful, beautiful way. Um, so, so yeah, but honestly, like every, every single game, there's, there's one moment where I'm like, okay, I have to go back and rewatch this, rewatch this. And sometimes now I'll even send things to uh you know the artists I work with as photo references and I'm like like this you know make him like this <laughs> um because there's a lot of things yeah that we, that we don't quite have words for um and it's easier to just say like look you can actually twist a torso this way like this is how you do it um so yeah yeah it's uh it's amazing <laughs> There's, uh, there's been so much emotion in what you talked about there about how soccer like unlocked uh, where you were uh, during you know these past, I'm losing count now, 28 months or so. Um, the, uh, how has your, your family kind of reacted to your soccerdom, your soccer fandom? You mentioned that your husband wasn't really back in, in the day in, in Egypt wasn't really a soccer fan. Are they soccer fans now, like your family or, or <laughs> My are they kids just are. kind of confused by what's happened? I think that, you know, I, I think they're a little bit perplexed. Um, my kids are super into it now. They've been to a couple of games with me. Uh, you know, my younger daughter plays soccer in a youth league. And so they're into it. My, my husband, I think is a little bit perplexed and I, <laughs> It's one of those things where I think when you've been together long enough, you've seen multiple iterations of the same person. Uh, you know, you knew them when they were in there, you know, sort of like grouchy in a job I hate phase. And you've seen them in there, you know, I'm having a midlife crisis. I'm going to buy a million guitars phase. And, you know, it's, it's, that's just sort of part and parcel of a long marriage and, so I think, you know, to my husband's credit, he was like, okay, I guess now it's soccer. Um, so, you know, I, I still haven't been able to get him to sit through a whole game with me, but I have to say like, he'll come in and drop these like funny little bits and pieces of soccer wisdom that he kind of picked up through the atmosphere, having grown up in a soccer culture that are pretty hilarious. Um, so, you know, it's... <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I think for a lot of people who've known me for a long time, though, it's a little bit weird. Have you, um, I know you started with the Sounders. Have you since then been following the rain on the women's soccer side as well? I have. And you know, it's funny. I knew Megan Rapinoe from the women's national team and I had no idea until maybe a year ago that she was local, you know, which was, which was incredible. Um, you know, that was such was the level of my local soccer ignorance. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's fun to follow those games. Uh, what's nice about soccer since it's sort of the world sport is there's always something soccer related on, um, you know, either it's, it's the MLS or it's the, the women's teams or it's the EPL or it's, uh, you know, Liga MX or, uh, you know, one of my good friends is a Turkish artist who I've worked with several times over the years who follows the Turkish leagues. So there's always something on. And, uh, that for me is, is part of the fun is, is sort of, you know, you get the itch and you're like, well, you know, my team isn't playing and, and these other teams aren't playing, but something is on. And then you go and you discover, uh, you know, some secondary league or in another place, or there's some sort of cup game going on and down that rabbit hole you go. So that's, that's kind of the beauty of, uh, of following a sport that the whole world plays as opposed to something that is more local. I do love how deep you already are in it, though. It's bad. <laughs> it sounds like, uh, like even while working now, it almost I almost feel like you're you have some game on while you're doing your your work. Like it's soccer has become kind of this background uh, template or tapestry for you. A little bit, uh, you know. There's there's certain kinds of writing that you have to have total concentration for, but you know what's lucky is a lot of overseas games come on right at a time where I kind of need a break. Uh, so, you know, sort of like mid morning or late morning. Uh, and so, you know, like earlier today, I was like, Oh, there's the Germany England game. I'll just watch the last half hour of that since I've sort of hit a wall and it's about lunchtime. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a time when I'll kind of switch over, uh, let my brain unwind a little bit and uh, you know, watch part of the game and then come back. And usually afterwards I've got something new, like, like it, it just gives me a nice little boost of, of energy to go back in and be like, okay, I'm gonna figure out how to make the scene work or uh, you know, finish this page or whatever it is. You are also lucky in that the local team that you started to watch is fun, entertaining, wins a lot. Um, but also like just has really unique characters on the team, both on the men's and women's side. And I'm wondering um, what's like, what stories have really resonated with you, if you as you've learned more about the players or like what stories do you want to hear more of as someone who thinks about stories a lot? You know, it's, it's interesting. I think I'm sure everybody thinks this about their own local club. Like we're, this is the best. This is, you know, the absolute pinnacle of soccer and nobody else comes close. So I'm sure that there's a lot of people who would say the same thing about their own teams. Um, but I have to say the, there's a lot of different things. For one thing, and this is something I notice, you know, being as part of my job sort of very online is it, it probably doesn't feel like this all the time, but having been involved in many different fandoms sort of across the years as part of my job, I have to say that Sounders fans are incredibly disciplined, which might seem like a weird thing to say. Um, but, you know, like everybody grumbles, you know, there's, there's criticism. That's just sort of a normal part of, of life. But, um, you know, having watched and, and, and been parting, been party to fandoms of things that kind of melt down um oh my gosh no incredibly disciplined incredibly focused there's this this sort of sense of we everything is we uh you know how are we doing our situation like not just as as fans or as a team but as a club um that's unique that's unique and the proximity I think of the 
the players and the staff to the fans is also very unique and reminds me, I have to say, of like comics maybe 15 years ago or like 20 years ago when you could go to a Comic-Con and just sort of sit around and these absolute giants of the medium would just be sitting behind a, you know, a folding table chatting with people. And, you know, you could go up and sit and chat and, and, you know, like you could watch as they were having conversations with other people and say, Oh my God. Um, You know, there's Stan Lee, not behind a velvet rope, but just sort of like sitting there at a table. Um, And the fact that that exists in this club, in this incredibly, I, I don't know, positive way, you know, in this, in this amazingly simpatico way is just, it's, it's really special. And I, I hope people realize that because eventually the league will get bigger. The club will get bigger, bigger, the velvet ropes behind which, you know, the important people sit will appear. That's just sort of how it happens when something grows. Um, and, you know, I think that's good. Growth is good, but people will miss this. Like this is this, this moment in time, I think is, is really special. Um, and once it gets big and unwieldy, it's hard to go back to that. Um, and, uh, you know, I was, I was thinking about this the other week. Uh, I was, I went across the country and back to New Jersey, where, which is where I'm from originally to go to this tiny little uh, uh, comic book convention that's held in a high school gym. And everybody's hanging out, you know, the creators, the fans. Um, and you don't get that if you go to San Diego now, which is like 200,000 people over the course of a weekend. Um, and there's, there's a real magic when you're at that inflection point where there's a huge concentration of talent, super enthusiastic fans, uh, you know, like not a lot of barriers in between the two, like a a good working relationship, like that's, that's, it's so precious. And when any kind of fandom or medium or club or whatever it is, outgrows that you you never quite get it back again so I feel really lucky to have come into this at this time um because that's really special the uh I'm gonna let that breathe for a moment but uh you mentioned that growth is good yeah Uh, we've seen to pull kind of the curtain back uh, 14 years ago four Sounders players were living together because they were making 14 grand each. <laughs> uh, Rain players as free, as recently as last year, um, yes, they had housing paid for, but they weren't making a living wage at all. And they're right on that border where they may or may not be, depending on how you count their benefits now. Uh, you've seen the growth in the comic industry where um, you mentioned San Diego, Emerald City, uh, these con- conventions now are just, uh, they make small cities mm-hmm. or genre, uh, fantasy and science fiction now. Uh, you, you mentioned that growth, uh, some of the projects that you grew up reading and being a fan of, you've worked on a few of them now, and now they're TV series, billion dollar movies. Um, and just this continuance and you see this growth. So what's it like for you, like in that part of fandom, not the soccer fandom, you've seen that grow from high school gyms. And thankfully we can still get to some of those once in a while, the smaller conventions, but you've seen it grow from so, so small to, uh, I mean, comics, people don't have to hide their comic fandom anymore. It's comics are mainstream. It's mainstream now. Yeah. What's it like to to encounter that uh, the the positive side of, of of that growth where Willow can can write comics? I, I, there was probably a time where you didn't think that could be your full time job. Yeah, for uh, sure. Oh yeah, yeah. No, there was there was a long time um, <laughs> where that was true. Yeah, you know, like it, it's on the one hand great because it, it brings more people into the conversation. 
Um, and that's always good. So, you know, you have that, you have the potential that every book could be a breakout book. Um, you know, every book could become that next big, whatever it is, Netflix series or HBO series or movie. Um, but at the same time, when it does get that big, the feedback becomes constant. Uh, and that's really difficult to deal with, you know, where it's, you know, it, it can, it's both positive and negative, you know, like you get, yes, good reviews. Yes. Fans who are really into whatever it is. And then you get really bad reviews and, and fans who think you suck <laughs> and tell you about it every single day. Um, and that's the downside. The downside is the bigger the thing becomes, the more constant the scrutiny. And it's very easy to let that become your inner, inner monologue and sort of replace your inner monologue. Um, you stop hearing yourself. All you hear is that, that feedback. And, uh, and that's a little bit rough. Um, you know, and it's, it's interesting because, you know, as you mentioned earlier, when I, when I started seeing from sort of the metrics of engagement on my social media channels that, you know, there was, there was some overlap. There is some significant overlap, especially in Seattle. I have to say, this is a very multitasker city uh, between <laughs> the people who are following me because of comic stuff and, and book stuff and the people who are following me because of soccer, um, that they were sort of two distinct entities really. And, and, you know, a, a significant portion of the people who are there for comics were not engaging with the soccer stuff. So I made an alt, which I said I would never do, uh, <laughs> just for soccer. And I, you know, on that alt, there was conversations burbling up about, uh, different players and, you know, who was doing well and who wasn't doing well. And I was like, Oh, I know what this is. Oh God. I know exactly what this is. And that feedback loop where it's like, okay, I, I can't hear myself anymore. I don't know why I'm here. It's just, you did great. No, you suck. And I want you off my team. And I was like, it, it was, I hate to use the word triggering because it's overused now, but <laughs> you know, when I see that, I'm like, oh man, I, I broke one of my rules, which was, I'm not going to get into anything on this, on this alt. I'm not going to get into any arguments. This is going to be a smoke-free zone. But I, you know, I felt, I was like, look, people read this stuff. Like, I know exactly what this feels like. This sort of, all of a sudden you wake up and you don't exist anymore. All that exists is a Greek chorus, half of which is telling you you're great. The other half of which tells you you suck. And so you don't know how you're doing at your job anymore. Um, and that is tricky terrain to navigate for a human being, uh, you know, who has all of the usual like doubts and fears and, and sort of psychological hangups and everything that everybody does. So I was like, you know, look, <laughs> this is a, this is a real phenomenon. Um, and it can get messy and it, it can, it can sort of have unintended uh, side effects. So, you know, it was one of those weird things where it's like the parallels keep unfolding in ways that I didn't really expect, uh, you know, in terms of what it means to be, uh, you know, a, a public facing figure in media and a public facing figure in, in sports. Um, you know, there's the, the parallels are very interesting, but what's fun about soccer for me is that I'm, I'm just a fan. I can just be a fan in a way that I hadn't been able to be, uh, you know, for, for superhero comics or some of this other stuff in a really long time. Uh, and, and for me, that's really cathartic to, to just be a fan. Yeah, that is a, can be a, a helpful reminder. I'm sure when you're in those moments too, like I'm a yeah. fan. Good. I, I think that's interesting. We are in no way at Jewella Wilson status at Sounder a Heart, but as we've gotten more readers and more followers, I think you, we've seen those same kind of like we pour our hearts and souls into writing and covering the team. And then to have just like some of that chatter outside when you're like, I just want to tell stories. That's what I want to do. Um, it can be a real distraction and it's always good to take a step back and remind like, who am I? What do I care about? What do I believe in? What's important to me? And always remember that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot, you know, that's sort of the blessing of the curse of social media is that the, the reviews are constant. 
it's not just the newspaper in the morning or the radio at night. It's uh, it's it's all day, every day <laughs> on the Internet. The uh, you, you mentioned the soccer stories and, and, and being a fan. Um, and maybe I've overprepared because the segue is not very good now that I realize it. But uh, what are some soccer stories that you wish that you'd seen, like of players or activities where you're like, there's an opportunity uh, that somebody needs to talk about that player or that experience, um, not necessarily Sounders related. I'm not fishing for like m- my next content creation or something like that, but just the the types of stuff where you, you think that um, maybe, you know, we're, we're basically now a traditional writing place. We've re- we, Sounder Art's been around for, for 14 years. So sometimes you get in those ruts and you don't find the new stories. So what are some of those tales that, that you wish that you could know more about? You know, I, a week ago, I would have had an answer to that, but I'm, I'm sort of deep into, um, oh gosh, I'm going to forget the title. What is it called? Sounders, an authentic, authentic masterpiece. There we go. Sounders, an authentic masterpiece. Um, because I was literally thinking about exactly this uh, about a week ago, I was like, oh, man, I want to read a book about how this happened. Like how, how was this constructed? It's very difficult to get that many people in the right place at the right time. Um, and I was very curious about how that happened. And it turns out that there is a book about exactly that. I'm kind of halfway through it now. Somebody posted about it uh, yeah, yeah, like last week, and I was literally sitting at the airport uh, looking for something to read, and I was like, oh, I'm going to download that right now. Um, so I'm, I'm deep into that. Uh, and, you know, I think whenever you do have a situation like that, where you have lightning in a bottle, like you do have the right people, all of them in the right place at the right time, it's worth thinking about and discussing and kind of breaking down how did this happen? How can we replicate it? What are some lessons that we can take from this? Because that is rare. Uh, you know, it's, it's rare in, in, in media, it's rare in comic books, it's, it's rare in films. Um, so I'm, I'm super, super into that book now and, uh, and, and really enjoying it. But one thing I have to say that I really have enjoyed is finding out, uh, you know, after having watched a game what led up to that moment? Like I have a, a, a wonderful reader in Wolverhampton who started staying up really late to watch Sounders games <laughs> when I started getting into the Sounders. Uh, and he is a big Wolves fan. And he was like, I know that you haven't picked an EPL team yet. Could you support Wolves? He like sent it in as a question in, in, uh, in, in like a q and I did for something totally unrelated. And so I was like, of course, of course I will. It's only fair. So I started following Wolves. And their number nine, who was also named Raul, Raul Jimenez, who's on the Mexican national team as well, wears this headband. And I assumed, I mean, it looks like exactly what runners wear here in Seattle when it's cold outside to keep their ears from freezing. So I thought it was that. I thought it was like ear warmers. And then somebody was like, no, he like almost died on the pitch. That's to protect him from concussion stuff if he has to take a header or something. And I was like, oh, my God. And so then I went down that rabbit hole and, uh, you know, watched the documentary about how he got this terrible injury and fought his way back, uh, you know, to the number nine position and kept playing. And, um, yeah, I mean, like, it's it seems like every single team, there's something like that. There's some amazing this guy shouldn't even be here story, or it almost didn't happen story. Or if, if these two people hadn't done this one thing, then these people wouldn't even be here. Um, and, you know, a lot of them are like, if I, if I wrote this in a script, my editor would be like, no, sorry, this is, this is outside the realm of believability. You have to go back and, and, and change some stuff. So, you know, it's, it's, it's really cool that there are, uh, you know, that there's, there's so much tenacity in the sport, you know, like people who should be dead, but are instead playing as number nines in the premier league. Like it's, it's, you literally can't make this stuff up. And uh, so, yeah, I, I feel like every other week I'll 
see some game and post something innocuous on Twitter and, and there'll be some fan of that team was like, oh, if you've heard that, then you have to go check out this thing or this unbelievable goal that was scored, you know, two years ago with this thing. Um, so, it, yeah, it, it just seems like a kind of never ending font of <laughs> storytelling, except it's all true, which makes it that much more cool. That's uh, I, on the list. Sorry, that was that. a lot yeah. of, that was a no. huge, like, I was like, how long have I been talking? Oh my God. <laughs> I, I was going to at one point ask you about Wolverhampton. So that was great. Cause I, I, I'm like, how does Wolverhampton come into this? Because I, th I figured maybe an Egyptian national team player or uh, uh, a player from the Middle East at least. No, uh, I was a Ms. Marvel Texas. fan. <laughs> From Wolverhampton. They do have the best crest in the Premier League. They do, except now, I mean, you know, like it's sort of shaped like an NFT, which. Oh God, now that you said that. Now you're not going to be able to unsee it. No, It reminds me of like the 90s vision of the future. Yes, this is what we thought 2022 was going to be like for everybody. Was that. Keep that vision. That's right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I have a really random question for you. Um, a lot of women who follow soccer or who played uh, love to reference Bend It Like Beckham as like this like moment of like connection to the game that they had. Have you seen that movie at all? I have. I saw it years ago when it first yeah. came out and I thought it was really cool. I liked it a lot. Um, it did not, it did not activate any soccer effect. receptors in my brain though. I have to the say. The soccer part of it is pretty bad, I'll be <laughs> honest. Um, but to see that kind of story told, I know for a lot of women who play the game, it meant a lot. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's a great, it's a great um, movie and, and it, I know that it continues to resonate for a lot of people. Um, there's this wonderful, uh, sports journalist Shreen Ahmed, who's done a couple of incredible essays about this exactly. And, you know, what it meant for her as a South Asian woman who was a sports fan. Um, so yeah, if anybody is looking for like far more coherent thoughts about that film than what I've just said, uh, she's written some incredible essays that are available online. Um, yeah, and she's great. a great follow too. Mm -hmm. If you just are a sports fan looking for more interesting coverage that uh you know from a point of view that you don't get all the time absolutely i, I love once upon a time i did an independent study about sports as cross-cultural communication in the modern middle east which is basically an excuse for me to read like sports stories coming out of like israel and saudi arabia basically and and write the short papers for a professor who spent too much time staring at like memlock architecture so like bumping into shireen who that's basically like her profession is to talk about how and to break down the barriers like uh, burn it all down her podcast is uh great can be a harsh listen at yeah. times but it also uh opens your eyes to the the potency of sports as a storytelling medium um so just yeah, she is a a must follow for anybody who believes that sports, politics, and culture can be blended together at once. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you uh, you talked about um, how Bend It was an and Susie mentioned this uh, was an opportunity to see uh, female athletes and South Asian athletes. Uh, play sports and and for a lot of players of the game um they got to see themselves for the first time and uh you have kind of a history in comics that relates to that uh i might be clumsily doing this but Ms. Marvel, <laughs> um you when you worked in 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 those books um you put yourself and um your connection to Jersey, uh, to the to the Near East, uh, and and to Islam into that. Um, what was it like to be able to throw so much of who you are personally into what became a superhero comic? Oh gosh, um, 
you know, I, I can't, it, it was an interesting line to walk because anytime you're sort of trying to create a character who's a lot of firsts, you have to make some decisions about what gets in and what doesn't get in. Um, and when Sana Amanat and I were, were creating Ms. Marvel, uh, there was no path to follow. Um, it, it was it was an untested proposition, whether, uh, you know, like a young American Muslim YA character could survive in, in sort of the comics medium at the time, especially back then when um, comics were the most adult and kind of gritty and grim that they'd ever been. And, you know, people were sort of had stopped thinking of comics as a young adult medium, which sounds absurd now because now it's like 90% of what gets sold is not even Western superhero comics. It's like young adult manga. Um, so it, it seems silly to say that now, but back then that was sort of the thinking was that, you know, like superheroes are now officially like an adult gritty lens through which to view the crumbling of humanity essentially. And to do, to do, to do this sort of, bright poppy young adults uh you know series that's that's you know like very upbeat and optimistic and deals with some you know heavy stuff but in a way suitable for young readers was like a risk upon a risk upon a risk and Sana and I both grew up in New Jersey we're the same age uh and uh you know there was there was sort of no template so we just kind of made our own, <laughs> you know, uh, they say, write what you know, the whole thing started because Sana had had a conversation with her editor at the time about what it had been like for her to grow up as a South Asian Muslim girl in New Jersey. Um, so it was a good jumping off point. And, uh, you, you know, from there, you just sort of put it all out there and it either works or it doesn't, you know, like it, it either crashes and burns and you say, well, chalk that up to experience or in this case, uh, debuts on Disney plus in about eight hours. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, like it's one of those things where, um, you know, if, if we'd had this conversation eight or nine years ago, I would have uh, probably had very different answers and hedged, you know, my, my bets very conservatively, but um, sometimes the universe surprises you. And the thing that has not been tested, you know, is, is of unknown feasibility actually works. And, uh, you know, the result is something that people seem to connect to. And um, yeah, I, I feel very lucky uh, because I feel like if we had gone back in time a further five years and done exactly the same book, it would have been dead on arrival. But it was just one of those things, you know, like the Sounders, right people, right place, right time, right audience. Uh, and it's very rare that you get all those things at the same time. Do you have a favorite superpower that Kamala Khan has? Oh, gosh. You know, it's funny. We were talking about this online earlier today. Like some uh, Gail Simone, who's another wonderful comic book writer, was, was joking about superpowers. And she has this running gag about it's it's too long to get into but we were making jokes about heat vision versus concussive blasts which is a huge long geek uh, you know tangent but somebody said jokingly that ms marvel's real superpowers are her friends and i was like no it, it's it's true that's one of her legit superpowers uh you know that was something that was very important to me as a writer starting out with that series is that um, one of truly one of her superpowers is her community, uh, because I think we are past the point now where we can continue to believe that one person acting alone, you know, like a, a reclusive billionaire hiding out in a bat cave. I mean, I love Batman. I'm working on a Batman book right now. This is not a criticism for the people who are going to come after me for saying that, but, uh, we are past the point where we have any leisure to believe that that one person is going to solve everything. What's going to solve everything is going to be people who can depend on each other when the going gets really rough. And so I, I really do believe that that is one of Ms. Marvel's superpowers is that she has this incredible community who she supports and who support her. 
And if anyone is listening who hasn't read it yet, please do. And (laughs) I can't wait for the show tomorrow. Um, Yes, it's going to be awesome. For someone like myself uh, who hasn't touched that comic book before, is it best to start in order to search out online for one of those must read that kind of does it piecemeal? If you had to reintroduce it, the comic version of Miss Marvel, if you had to introduce it to, to somebody who comes from outside of the, that series previously, what, what would you start recommend they start with? Um, it's, so it's, it's 10 volumes and a couple of digests. And if you can find volume one, which collects the first, I believe six issues, uh, it's a great place to start because it's an origin story. So you get everything right from the very beginning. She starts out as a fan. So she's in our shoes watching superheroes from afar. Um, so her point of view should be quite relatable in the sense that, uh, you know, she's, she's not born into a dynasty of, of superheroes, at least not that she knows of to begin with. Um, her story is very similar to Peter Parker's. It's, it's sort of what that's the archetype that she's very much built off of ordinary kid who unexpectedly gets powers and has to hide it because, uh, you know, they have vulnerable family and community members who, who could be hurt. And so they start leading a double life in which they are, uh, you know, sort of a superhero by night and they have to ace their chem finals by day. Um, she's very much in that mold. So even if you're not a big superhero reader, uh, if you start with volume one of that, you you should see plenty of yourself <laughs> or your or at least your teenage self in her. I think she's right also hila- she's hilarious, which is it just adds so much to reading it. She's just a funny character. Oh, good. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad to hear you say so. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. Having that humor was very important, I think, to yeah. all of us. Uh, there's tons of visual gags in there from the artists Adrian Alfano and, and later Takeshi Miyazawa um, and Nico Leon, some of which I'm still finding to this day. You know, people would be like, did you see this? And I haven't seen it. Like, it's, it'll be just some visual gag in the background um, that just amplifies the humor even more. So uh, yeah, yeah, it was it was a labor of love for everybody who worked on it. You mentioned that her... Kamala Khan's superpower is her friends and her group. And you talked about that with soccer and the Sounders, both as a team and as a community, but it sounds like uh, Willow's superpower uh, is her coworkers as well, because you've mentioned kind of the coordination with uh, Suna and the artists as like, it's not, Miss Marvel isn't your project alone. No, Uh, yeah. All comics are team efforts. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Yeah, I mean, I write novels as well, which is where I get to sort of be very uh, selfish and and type A and sit in a corner and control every little thing. But, uh, but yes, comics are, superhero comics specifically, are always team efforts. Uh, editors are very involved. You, at minimum, you have a writer, an artist, and a letterer, but usually it's a writer, an artist, a colorist, and a letterer. So usually you're four people. You're a team of four people and at least one editor. Um, and you know the writer is, is typically the first domino. I have to be on time. If I'm not on time, nobody else can be on time because my thing has to be done first. Um, and yeah, you, you have to be a support system for each other, a sounding board, um, you know, it, you sort of you come to a place where you have a working rhythm where everybody's sort of using the same vocabulary everybody's kind of tapped into the same ethos and you kind of understand each other um but yes very very much a team effort nobody nobody makes a superhero comic by themselves or well no i'm sure there are people who do we're much more talented than i am but nobody does that on a monthly basis without help We had asked you for about 45 minutes to an hour when we first reached out to you. So we're coming up on that. There are a couple like rapid questions that I want to cover. Some of them are um, maybe more esoteric than we've talked on already. The first one might be the simplest and it's probably something you've thought about before is, uh, is there a particular player that you think um, would inspire a superhero? Ooh, now there's a question. You know, 
gosh, I almost don't want to answer that. I mean, everybody talks about Raul as being a cheat code. <laughs> like that's, I feel like that's the thing that I've heard on about three different podcasts this week. Um, but oh my God, something is going on in that man's right foot that needs to be studied by physicists. Uh, so <laughs> like if you were going on, you know, like theories of spooky magnetism, uh, Raul would be a good one to, to I think, uh, to, to put in the superhero spot. But you know what, like what's great about soccer teams is that uh, in superhero comics, we talk about solo books and team books. They are two very distinct species of storytelling. A solo book is like your Superman or your Batman or your Iron Man, where it says so right in the title, this is a book about one person. Um, And then you've got team books like the X-Men or A-Force or the Avengers, where the point is not the powers of one individual. It's how all of these individuals link up. Um, And that is a much more difficult story to tell because you have to figure out how everybody's talents complement each other, how everybody gets time on the page in such a way that the group makes sense. Uh, You have to figure out creative ways to build off of the strengths of each person. So maybe you have one person who flies and one person who doesn't. And uh, how does that work out? Um, The logistics are completely different versus a solo book. Uh, So, you know, like, I I think when you're talking about a soccer team, you have to start thinking about team books, (laughs) you know, the great ones, your X-Men, your Avengers, uh, you know, your A-Force, stuff like that. so, so yeah, so no, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd put, uh, I'd put all of the 2022 Sounders can be on the Uncanny X-Men. I think they're that level. Uh, you can print that. <laughs> um, this one, it might just be for me, but do you have a favorite uh, Middle Eastern restaurant? Um, I am, I'm in South. Yes, I do. Times, in so Seattle? I, I know where I go. In the kind of greater Puget Sound. Um, I'd love to yes. ask you for Jersey, but you're from the Rock. I won't go to South Jersey because my family is North Jersey. So that, that, that. See, I'm, I'm one of the people who believes that there is such a thing as central Jersey. I am. And I say, I am from central Jersey and the real ones know, (laughs) but no, in Seattle, my favorite Middle Eastern restaurant is Cafe Turco up in Fremont. Um, It's unbelievable. They do absolutely everything from scratch, like from the jams to the bread to everything. It's completely halal. So anybody can eat it um and it's delicious oh my gosh and I believe the proprietor also does cooking classes or at least she did before COVID I don't know if she still does um and uh yeah incredible jumping from food to other fandoms um do you have a favorite bookstore or comic shop in the area might be yes, hard to pick favorites, but. I, I can't, I can't pick one. There's so many good ones. I mean, I don't know if people know this, but Seattle is a UNESCO city of literature. So we are an official big time <laughs> uh, world recognized city for books. So there's some amazing ones. All of my books without pictures, my, my novels and so forth, I have launched out of Elliott Bay, every single one. Um, so I feel like I have a talismanic connection to Elliott Bay. They're fantastic, but third place books is also great. Um, Pike Place Market has some of the most amazing used bookstores I've ever set foot in, especially if you are a sci-fi or fantasy fan, a classic sci-fi and fantasy. Uh, Lionheart Books is down there and it's unbelievable. For comic book stores, um, for the past six years, except for COVID, I have traditionally been at Phoenix Comics and Games on Capitol Hill with a bunch of other local creators. Um, but there's, you know, there are great stores in West Seattle. Um, there's Arcane Comics. Uh, let's see where else. Oh, I was going to say Xanadu, but they closed. That's so sad. Um, but yeah, pretty much every zone of Seattle has its own comic book store. The one I go to a lot is, uh, is Arcane Comics or is, um, well, I go to Arcane sometimes too, but, uh, is, uh, Phoenix Comics and Games up on Capitol Hill. 
And then I asked this just because somebody recently asked it of me and the the Puget Sound looks so much different than Central Central Jersey. I'll 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 allow my my mom's from like Bayonne and Wyckoff and okay yeah family now up in Orange County. Um, the uh, but Puget Sound looks so different. Is there a, a place that you go when you need to look at nature and get away from the computer screen and the, or the tablet or the TV? But like, not that I want to stalk you or anything like that. I, but like, <laughs> are, are are there these? I have a, a certain, there's a park in Kennedale on Lake Washington, for example, that when I was on job hunts, I would just pull over on the side of the road there and just sit and stare across Lake Washington towards like Leshai um, in that area. It, are there like, are there points of nature that you particularly enjoy in this area that get you away from various oh, fandoms yeah. and electronics? <laughs> I mean, we used to go, uh, you know, my kids and my husband and I used to go to Seward Park all the time. It's so crowded now that it's difficult to enjoy in the way that we used to. Um, you know, when we first moved here, it was empty most of the time. Um, now it's it seems to be packed at pretty much all hours of the day, but it's still great. You know, it's one of those places where, especially if you have kids, every there's something for everybody because there's a playground with a zip line and you can also walk on the lake and it's very flat. So uh, you know, it's not, it's not challenging in the way that some of the other parks are. My personal favorite, even though it's somewhat obnoxious to get to is, is Discovery Park up in Magnolia. Um, because especially on a sunny day, some of the views that you can get there are like, I can't believe this is a public park that I just walked into. I feel like I'm on a film set. I feel like I'm on some other plane, you know, like beautiful rolling hills down to the sea and the trees and everything else. Um, so that's where I like to take out of town guests if I'm really trying to impress people, um, because it's just so pretty. Always where I, I'm like, I always find, like you said, on good days, I'm always like, gosh, this region is beautiful. Like you just... It's a little bit on, yeah, on good days, you kind of, your jaw drops and yeah. you're like, I'm in a postcard. I can't believe it. But then, you know, for the other nine months of the year, it's hidden in a veil of cloud and rain um which that makes it that much more special when it does, it does. come out i have a a an, a maybe final question that we actually ask every rain player that we interview on our podcast it is a very it's the most controversial question that we ask them where do you stand on pineapple on pizza <laughs> um i'm agnostic it's fine. You know, I don't get mad at people who want to put it on their pizza. I personally don't put it on my pizza, but uh, I'm not going to yuck somebody else's yum. So, you know, if it's your jam, I support you. I will discreetly pick it off if you hand it to me, but that's okay. Everybody's different. Well, I wanted to just uh, thank you so much for this. Uh, the It was eye-opening to kind of be to find somebody kind of reawakened by the sounders because I know Susie and I have been there at various points but the, that was a long time ago um well in the sounders I mean they their MLS era is you know 14 seasons so to to just uh hear those stories and 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 kind of um seeing that you you love kind of the teamwork and the uh as well as like the artistry and to hear somebody um in fiction and superhero comics be surprised by what the human body can do and say there's no way we could write that um uh you know it's a cliche from play-by-play -play announcers and yet to hear somebody who writes things like that all the time say it was uh, uh rather potent for me <laughs> um we appreciate your your, your time uh it's a uh, it has been a joy to watch you online explore this fandom and then to just go a bit deeper into it. Um, Susie, did you have anything else you want to say before? I No, just again, yeah, thank you so much. I think Dave and I were both geeking out over getting to talk to you um, about geeky things and soccer things all at once. So just thank you so much for your time. Oh, it's my pleasure. Honestly, uh, I'm, I'm just thrilled to be on 
your show, it was kind of like being noticed by senpai, you know, in, in Sounders fan terms. So it's, it's truly an honor for me. Uh, you know what we should do? It, obviously, uh, if you have Disney Plus, uh, watch Miss Marvel. It, it is on. Um, uh, what else uh, should a Sounders fan do to show support for G. Willow Wilson? Well, it's funny you should ask that because literally the minute after that first Sounders game I watched ended, the, one, the first one in which Kellen Rowe scored after coming back home, I went upstairs. I wrote a pitch for uh, a Poison Ivy series. Poison Ivy, of course, being the famous green-thumbed femme fatale from from the Batman books. I sent it to my editor. Um, She wrote back and said, this is crazy. I've never seen anything like this before. The first issue came out today. And there's a there's a Seattle connection. If you get to issue six, there's there's a very small but very profound thing that only Sounders fans will understand. Um, but it's it's the first book that I've written entirely in my soccer fandom era. And I can't I can't talk about sales numbers yet, but the first issue has pulled numbers I didn't think I would see in my career. So if there's ever a better advertisement for uh, being a soccer fan and a superhero fan, I don't know of it. But yes, if, if you are specifically a, a Seattle person and a Sounders fan, I would go pick up Poison Ivy. It's uh, in comic book shops on Comixology. Um, if you can't get to either of those, you can wait until the first six issues are collected into an anthology. Those will be out in every variety of bookstore that you could possibly encounter. But if you want to start reading at issue one, that's at your local comic book shop or on Comixology. Thank you again for your time, Willow. Uh, thank you, Susie, for the Sounder Art Podcast. I am Dave Clark.